is WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to Rashkin Report, and this is Yuri Rashkin. I'm excited to welcome to the program Anton Barbashin, who is Managing Editor of Intersection. Um, Anton, welcome to the program. Hi, uh, glad to be here. Um, I'd like to begin by at least uh, describing what this intersection project is. It also sounds very similar to another project, Interception, which which it's not. So uh, if you want to, you know, because Glenn Greenwald is the one who is behind one of the people involved. And that certainly is a good confusion to make with somebody because it's a very interesting, uh, thought-provoking brand there. But can you share with the listeners a little bit about Intersection and what is that project? Well, first of all, it has nothing to do with the other projects. It's actually, I mean, the first time I've heard uh, Intersection being compared to Glenwald's project. But anyway, uh, well, Intersection is basically an online platform that provides for in-depth analysis of Russian foreign and domestic politics. Uh, we give a platform to experts in uh, economics, political science, sociology, you name it, Pretty much everything that deals with Russia. Uh, we have authors also pretty much from uh, all over the place, from Russia, Ukraine, EU countries, the US. Yeah. How does a project like this come together? Basically, the idea was um, uh, by myself pretty much and my colleague Olga Urisova, the senior editor. Um, was, I think, 2014, we were back in Moscow at the time, and we were thinking that, well, there's definitely a need uh, to bring out more new names, uh, new ideas, uh, new research with regards to Russia. And um, we are actually fortunate enough to uh, get in touch with a group of um, uh, people in Poland, uh, namely the Center for uh, Polish-Russian Dialogue and Understanding, uh, a Polish um, publicly funded organization that were eager uh, to create a joint venture that ended up being the uh, intersection. That's uh, that's fantastic, and uh, you really do cover a wide range of topics, um, and you have some recognizable names writing for you as well. Um, I think Vladislav Nazemtsov is, is someone whose name is familiar to most, uh, interested in the subject of Russia. Uh, who do you feel is your uh, audience? Well, actually, uh, we have, as you know, Intersection is published both in Russian and English. So we already, uh, so we both cover English-speaking and Russian-speaking audiences. Uh, as for the Russian-speaking audience, I think about 30, uh, well, actually, overall, about 30% uh, of our audience comes from Russia. Then we have Ukraine, United States, UK, Poland, Germany, and then pretty much a little bit of everything. And, and I think that's where we can uh, kind of focus in on uh, the nature of the conversation, because if we're uh, doing this in English for English-speaking audience, we have to take that audience's priorities into consideration, because there are d differences between what different audiences care and want to know about. So from American point of view, let's say, the, the big question is, are, how are Russians involved in our politics? How are Russians involved in our foreign affairs and, and controlling the direction of the United States? Um, what do you feel that Intersection has been able to provide uh, to, to answer that question? Look, this is probably the question for the FBI and other agencies that are actually dealing with the investigation. 
Uh, so far, I don't think we had anything that was purposefully dealing with that question in particular because, well, um, it's it's part of the editorial policy. We didn't we don't actually order our authors to write something in particular. We accept expect them to propose us uh, what they think would be relevant, and then we have an editorial process of deciding whether we want it or not, whether it requires additional uh, you know remarks and so on and so forth. So with this question in mind, I don't think we've had anything proposed to us recently that was good enough to be published. That's so, unfortunate. I mean, if, if, huh? That's unfortunate. Well, that's uh, that's a very complicated topic. I mean, there's a lot of rumors here. There's a lot of unconfirmed information, and I mean, if when I see the text that I believe would be uh, you know decent enough and qual you know in in in, in uh, good enough quality, we'd be happy to publish. Is there a story? Is there explanation that you would not believe? Or at this point, anything goes and. Uh, Whatever it turns out to be, whether Trump has a code name or or whatever, or or maybe this is just all one big coincidence. Um. Look, uh, um, well, I'm obviously not an expert in Trump's connection with Russia, but I would not. Uh, I'm inclined to think that he's not an agent. Obviously, the uh, people in Russia were eager. Uh, to to see whether he'd be a cooperator on various issues. And obviously, from what we know about Kislyak and others, there were several attempts to contact his team and to uh, think of a possible cooperation. But I'm not really buying the whole idea of Trump being the Russian candidate fully because I'm I, I just don't see enough evidence. And from what I see... And of what I've been uh, noticing in Moscow all throughout the election and before the election, they were preparing for Hillary Clinton. That's true. The, the all, all reasons, all, all signs point that uh, Kremlin has given up on Trump and uh, were, I guess, pleasantly surprised. And that's what I, that's another thing that I wanted to discuss with you is a little bit of a use of language in, in your reporting. Um, I think that the language that you use, I, I would describe as more reserved versus as strongly worded as some of the other things that you can find online. And, um, yeah, very well could be, yeah. And, and I'm trying to figure out how do, you, how do you navigate your way of providing the information that seems as bias-free as possible uh, to your audience? How can people trust you that the information that you're providing is, is accurate? This is such a you know, gray world. Well, look, we we hope that the ones that are reading our materials are capable to distinguish uh, fake news and distinguish uh, fake analysis from uh, reason one based on facts. And I mean, in, 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 in the end, it's for the readers to decide what is true and what is not. It's just we have the process of our editorial process is uh, well, it's, it's basically directed at uh, trying to make the best out of what we have with our authors. And with regards to being, uh, you know, reasonable enough, we're just not, we're not a, you know, a newspaper, we're not trying to be a sensationalist. It's, it's about analysis, it's about facts, it's about providing, uh, you know, decent uh, understanding of the situation sometimes, but more complex issues in a matter understandable uh, for various readers. 
You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM. This is Rashkin Report. I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. Uh, today, my guest is uh, Anton Barbashin, Managing Editor of Intersection, which uh, is, a, is a new venture, relatively speaking. I mean, it's, it's in, Anton, how old, how long has it been? We actually launched uh, May, May 2015. May 2015, but uh, yeah. thanks to uh, Facebook-sponsored ads, I keep seeing your posts in front of me, so something's working. And um, can you talk about some of the most popular stories? Because you, one of the things that I see you do is you talk about what are some of the most read texts of the week. Can you talk about yeah. some of the top stories and tell me what, uh, what is interesting to your English language readers? The, the past week, or just generally speaking? Both. Well, if if we actually look at like top ten most read texts on uh, for the for the English speaking audience, I guess a half of that would be dealing with Vladimir Putin and his personality, his inspirations, and probably about his um, supporters all around the world in Europe. We had a terrific te text by. Um, Andres Umland, I think, about a year ago, and it's still, you know, getting a lot of hits from all over about Putin Fashtinas in, in Europe. I would encourage people to read that. Recently, we had a terrific text by uh, Marlene Laurel about uh, Ivana Lin as the ideological inspiration for Putin, where she argues that he is, in fact, not an inspiration. But um, I would say out of the most read materials, is basically um, stuff we had on Russian military would be among the most read, and we have quite a few terrific and I would say brave uh, contributors, people writing openly about Russian military and uh, prospects and uh, basically the methods and uh, you know, well the way they function, which at times is not um, a safe business, especially if you're based out of Russia, and quite a few of our authors are based in Russia. So, um, I mean, there's no really a pattern, I would say, that you could easily identify which particular article would be interested for which audience, but uh, probably our English-speaking audience is, uh, tends to um, react more on the stuff that deals with Russia-West relations, uh, Putin as a personality, the issues of Russia's military engagement and, you know, war in uh, Ukraine, the war in Syria, um, yeah, probably probably be about uh, the most uh, read content. All right. Well, that's uh, certainly for a variety of uh, things, but let me ask you, as it, as it, with all the interest in Russian-American relations and the military, do you feel that Russia these days is a country that is generally moving towards a peaceful resolution or a conflict, you know, resolution of situation? Like that's that's that guy. It has to be a joke, right? <laughs> With I mean, there's I mean, there are two ongoing wars: one in Syria, one being waged in Ukraine. So I mean, as but I think but, we're but I think Americans really for good reason want peace, right? We want peace. We want peaceful resolution. Why not be peaceful with Russia and uh, and hope for you know everything will be great. Look, that's that's obviously an option if you believe that the kind of magical stuff works. But it just uh, it's not it's not what we see uh, what Vladimir Putin is about. It's not what we see his goals are. I mean, uh, there's been three years since the annexation of Crimea. There's an ongoing war in the east of Ukraine, and there's a lot of Russian, let's say, influence. Let's put it that way uh, in uh, in in Europe and the United States. I mean, for one 
just today, Marie Le Pen was in Moscow. Uh, she's the prime candidate for uh, the, the the French presidency. She's the one that was actually financially supported by uh, one of the Russian banks. So, look, there's there's a lot of there's a lot going on basically, and I'm not calling, and I hope uh, that no one is. Uh, thinking how to get more aggressive with Russia in terms of military action because that would be a disaster for all of us. But look, that's, some things should not be just uh, let go. And I do believe part of the issues we have is uh, is because at particular points of history, like for instance, 2008, the Georgian War, uh, Vladimir Putin was not told, was not shown that some things are just not okay. And the same happened in uh, in the annexation of Crimea. Actually, the, if you look at the sanctions that were imposed on Russia after Crimea, they're very minor. I mean, m most of the most serious stuff came uh, after Donbass. But uh, that's just the nature of the regime. Well, and even sanctions in general have been, you know, a lot of them have been self-inflicted. You know. well, I mean, all of them are self-inflicting. I mean, nobody has right, that's Russia true. To okay, but Crimea I mean, and, the ones that uh, which Russian were in, in, in east of Ukraine. Them. But yes, in fact, there there are anti-sanctions or embargo on the uh, some of the European goods, and uh, and actually, that those are the ones hurting Russian economy uh, quite significantly as well. All right, then then does it make sense to you that a country like Russia that is so crazy uh, is able to exist? Look, I wouldn't say it's crazy, and uh, like it just the logic of of Vladimir Putin and the logic of Kremlin is just it's very different from uh, what, let's say, the Western idea of the state uh, is 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 just uh, you know political survival of uh, this particular person and the system he has built, and uh, you know the methods it's used are well, generally speaking, are. Well, something that has not been uh, acceptable in the West for quite a few decades, let's put it that way. Uh, and it could survive... But are they now unacceptable or have they become unimaginable? Well, define unimaginable. I think in the last few years we have seen lots of things that were considered unimaginable happening and we still do. So, look, this is just the reality of things, and we need to accept them for what they are. But uh, I, the, the, one, the one point I want to make is mm -hmm. this regime can pretty much survive for, 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 for a long time. Uh, with the propaganda that is, that is uh, in place in Russia, with the uh, basically acceptance to some extent of the Russian population of the economic losses that Russia has endured over the last three years, and uh, the absence of the Western resolve uh, to show, you know, the boundaries, uh, this regime could very well uh, last past 2024. And 2024 is when the president uh, Putin's next presidential term will end. And so, there's there's all there's every reason actually to believe that is not going to be the end of it because, look, this is uh, the personified autocracy and uh, as, as history actually shows us I mean they didn't those leaders don't actually you know want to go after their elections or just don't want to go peacefully so either he's gonna die while being the president of Russia or he's going to be ousted which is very unlikely so uh, I just want to say that we have to prepare ourselves for quite a long time with Vladimir Putin as president of Russia really yeah so does it mean that 
all Mr. Putin understands is strength. And then well, the question is the strength, the lack of it. Right. And then the question is how much strength does need to be demonstrated in order for him for it to be effective? Because it's not nuclear war necessarily. It's just there's a certain fine line, it seems, with Mr. Putin where he feels that maybe people are serious and then he backs down. Look, there was there was a case uh, with Turkey. I, I don't know if you remember when the Russian plane was down. There's the Russian planes fly, flying over Syria, and one of them was was down by uh, the Turkish side, and that was actually the, the the stop of all of that. I'm not saying that actually this is the resolution. That was a very dangerous situation in, in the Russia-Turkish relations, but basically, if it's just talks and warnings and the red lines that are never materialized in anything and uh, Ukraine does not get the proper support uh, that it needs, then he'll just move forward. Like the sanctions that were imposed in Russia are relatively uh, minor. They are efficient, they are effective, but like compare them to sanctions that were imposed on Iran. I mean, that's just two very different things. You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. Joining me today is Anton Brabashin, uh, Managing Editor of Intersection. Um, Anton, I'd like to uh, end our conversation with a discussion on uh, the one topic that uh, perhaps is a crossover, in the sense that it is big news in Russia, and also it is something that I think is... Uh, we should be noticed here as well, and that's that the former Russian parliamentarian and Putin critic was shot dead in Kiev, and and I think that is a story that is still very much reverberating in Russia, trying to understand the implication of this kind of a bold move. Um, but I think this is something that in the West also needs to be uh, put in the pile of those things that we considered perhaps unimaginable. Look. Um... Obviously, we it's 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 too early to assess. It's too early to say the actual what actually happened. But it looks like a parliamentary uh, from Russia, who is a you know a full supporter of the regime and turned to be against the regime and left Russia and started to criticize Putin, was publicly killed in the center of Kiev. I'm not saying that is actually what happened because I don't know, but it kind of looks like there was a signal sent to pretty much all of them, all of them functioners and all of them uh, basically parliamentaries in Russia that uh, contemplates of uh, leaving Russia and going to Ukraine or any other place and starting criticizing Putin's regime. It's basically kind of sending a signal that this kind of behavior will not be tolerated. Uh, we do not tolerate traitors. Could be actually the motto of this of this week, and uh, you know I think the the signal is quite strong and evident, and it's actually um, horrible for Ukraine in the sense that uh, well, if you want to let's say flee Russia for any particular political purpose and uh, go to Ukraine, you do know for sure it's not safe. So, yeah. But it's, as I've said, it's it's too early um, to be sure what exactly happened there. Well, fair enough, fair enough. Anton Barbashin, Managing Editor of Intersection, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Rashkin Report. And of course, if people want to learn more about Intersection, how can they find you? 
Well, uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, or you just go directly to intersectionproject.eu. Project.eu. All right. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the program. My pleasure. You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to Rashkin Report.